Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Our reading today is Exodus 1, verses 8 through 22. You may locate this text in your pew Bible on page 48. First, let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you have to say to us today. Amen. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase, and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply supply cities, Python and Ramesses, for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then the Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Recently, a friend asked me what I love about being at Village. I could have said mission. I could have said music. I could have said members. But what I said was name tags. (laughs) Seriously. I told him what I love most about Village is name tags. You've heard of clergy who have instant recall of names. I am not one of them. 
There are so many of you. And even after more than a year with you, I still struggle. And maybe you're thinking that my inability to remember your names is due to my advancing age. But truth be told, I've had this problem for more than 20 years. Once earlier in my former church, I arrived at the hospital around 6 a.m. to pray with a couple before surgery. I said a lovely prayer. I prayed for Jim. I prayed for his wife as she waited. I prayed for Jim's surgeon and the entire medical team. It was a lovely prayer. And after the amen, the man said to me, I don't know who Jim is, but I'm Joel. It was not my best pastoral care moment. Names are important, and I will keep working to remember your names, and any help you can give me would be most welcome. Well, our story in Exodus begins with a new king in Egypt who does not remember the name of Moses or his amazing technicolor dream coat. 400 years earlier, Joseph had played a crucial role in saving Egypt from famine and mass starvation. And during that time, Joseph's relatives, escaping famine in their own land, immigrated to Egypt. And because of Joseph, they were welcomed there, and the pharaoh was pleased to have them there. But now, 400 years later, the Israelites have been fruitful and multiplied, and the new king is threatened by them. He doesn't know his history. Wishing to solidify his political base, this pharaoh revokes commitments previously made to the Israelites. He calls them by new names. Not neighbor, not friend, but immigrant, foreigner, them. He imposes forced labor on them and then even harsher, more brutal labor. Pharaoh no longer called them Israelites, but Hebrews, which is a pejorative name for enslaved people who disrupt ordered society. The Hebrews became his scapegoat for all the problems in Egypt. We've seen this movie before. We know this history. In the 1930s, especially in Germany, but not, not just in Germany, it was the Jews. In the 1940s, in our own country, it was Japanese Americans who were put into internment camps. More recently, it's been illegal aliens, welfare moms, gays, the undeserving poor, Muslims. And history is full of our proclivity to name ourselves over and against others. 
and to deny others their essential humanity. We forget their names as beloved children of God. So this new pharaoh used his power to incite fear. He preached them versus us. And his fear-mongering was very successful. Soon all the Egyptians were using pharaoh's names for their former friends and neighbors. But according to our text, the more the Israelites were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. Pharaoh then intensified his plan to deal with the Hebrews, and genocide was his solution. He summoned two midwives. We don't really know if they're Hebrew midwives or Egyptian midwives. Scholars are divided on this one. But he summoned them to his court and commanded that they kill all the Hebrew male babies as they were being born. The midwives, whose work was assisting women in bringing new life into the world, are now commanded to deal in death. I'm guessing they were terrified and outraged at the same time. What must their conversation have been as they left Pharaoh's court? I'm so glad that they had each other. Did they talk about their options, about consequences? Did they list the pros and cons of obeying Pharaoh? Did they decide quickly or agonize over what to do? They decided that there was no way they could obey Pharaoh's order. Even they knew that Pharaoh could kill them, they trusted God and did what their moral consciences dictated. They let the boys live. So Pharaoh summoned them a second time when he realized that they weren't following his orders. And they lied. And they defended their action. They gave him some fake news and they used his own racism against him. They said, these Hebrew women are so strong. They give birth so easily. By the time we get there, they've already delivered and gone back to work. <laughs> now that took chutzpah to tell that lie with a straight face. Pharaoh failed to realize that not only was he being fed fake news, he was also being mocked. Some scholars mark this as the first recorded instance of civil disobedience. The midwives' rejection of Pharaoh's decree was not just personal, but it was political as well. Pharaoh is not so much a person as a system that rears its ugly head time and time again. Now, nowhere else are Shifra and Pua named or known or celebrated, but we have their names.
At risk to their own lives, they refused Pharaoh's order to kill. Instead, in the words of a favorite professor of mine, Terry Fretheim, and I quote, they are mothering agents bearing witness to the mothering power of God whose will for life overrides the killing and whose power for life is undeterred by the death dispensed by the powerful. The Israelites could have come to an early end in Egypt if it hadn't been for God's intervention through the kind of human bravery demonstrated by Shifra and Pua. And because these midwives revered the mothering God of life, God was ultimately able to deliver Israel from bondage. One of the boys spared will be named Moses, and he will lead the people out of Egypt and into freedom. And it all started here with Shifra and Pua. They're heroes, not because they single-handedly dismantled the powers of evil, but because they did what they could with what they had where they were. They let the boys live. Now, I doubt they thought they were changing the world, but they were by following the dictates of their consciences and with their hearts fixed on God. Now, you've no doubt heard of the butterfly effect, where a small change in a complex system can have large effects elsewhere. And unless you trace things back, you can never really tell which efforts made the biggest difference. The butterfly effect points out how simple and courageous acts can ripple across time and space and affect the lives of millions. The butterfly effect also points out how interconnected our actions are. So we do well today to remember the names of Moses and other heroes. And we do well to remember Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Rosa Parks, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Nelson Mandela, Mother Teresa, and how their actions rippled out and affected the lives of millions. But let us also remember other names. Cornelia Arnolda Joanna Ten Boom. Sorry, having a little trouble with my mic. Cornelia Arnaldo Johanna Ten Boom, a Dutch watchmaker who, with her father and sister, helped many Jews escape the Nazi Holocaust by hiding them in her home. Corey was caught and sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp. Her sister died there. She survived. 
Let us also remember thousands of unnamed Liberian women, ordinary grandmothers, mothers, aunts, and daughters, Christian and Muslim together, who came together in 2003 to pray for peace. Armed with only white t-shirts and the courage of their convictions, they demanded that the killing of their sons in a brutal 14-year civil war stop. Their actions were critical in bringing about an agreement during the stalled peace talks. And their remarkable story is told in the documentary, Pray the Devil Back to Hell. And in our own nation, let us remember men and women who marched last year into Lafayette Square opposite the White House to protest President Trump's separation of parents and children at the border. While the president was away for the weekend, protests and marches swelled from New York to California. And former Attorney General Jeff Sessions quoted Romans 13 to justify the government's actions. I'm thinking that maybe Sessions had forgotten the names of Shifra and Pua in Exodus 1, who pleased God by their civil disobedience and were rewarded with children of their own. And let us remember two names I learned about this week, just yesterday, in fact, in the Christian Century magazine. Their names are Octavio and Omar Viramontes, and they moved here from Mexico when they were 10-year-old twins with their parents. And life was very tough for them in the beginning. They had to pick grapes and peddle them door to door. This spring, Octavio and Omar graduated from Harvard's and UCLA's medical schools, respectively, one day apart. Remembering their parents' sacrifices, Omar said, every day I wake up and I think, what can I do today to make myself better, my family better, and my community. And closer to home, let us remember the names of sisters Berta Saylor and Carita Busanmas, who started Operation Breakthrough in 1971 in response to parents asking for quality child care for their children. Today, Operation Breakthrough has a budget of $8 million helping impoverished kids and their families in a wide variety of ways. And we're part of that, too. Just recently, they built a bridge over Troost Avenue, literally bridging a racial and economic divide that has persisted for decades in our city. And finally, let us remember Mary Molly, 
sister of Village Church member Sherilyn. Mary died this June 9 after a diagnosis of cancer that she never allowed to define her. In her 35-year career of teaching second and third graders, she gave witness to the mothering power of God. Her unconditional love and support for each and every child, her contagious laughter and smiles, her hugs, as well as her Hershey's chocolate kisses, her actions will ripple out for the health of the world for years to come. The things you and I do this week, our actions, our decisions, our choices, will ripple out with consequences foreseen and unforeseen, for good or for ill, for the health or damage of the world. Some of these actions might be bold and courageous, and others might be hardly noticeable. But they all have the potential to ripple out, affecting countless lives. We too, men and women alike, are midwives. We are mothering agents. We know our own names, beloved children of God. And called by that name, we act. We act against pharaohs of racism, sexism, ageism, and any other ism of evil. We act against violence and poverty and injustice. We are beloved midwives, helping to birth forth new life on behalf of our mothering God, showing love, bringing hope, affecting change. The Exodus story affirms that it's the small things, the insignificant people, who bear God's name and salvation into the world, one small courageous act at a time. The cleverness of midwives. The birth of a little baby. Thousands of years later, let us remember Shifra and Puah, their names preserved for all of history as monuments to heroic acts that save an oppressed people. While Pharaoh is just a Pharaoh, and if you've seen one Pharaoh, you've seen them all. <laughs> Our names may be remembered or not in history, but as we work together with God to birth God's promised new day, we can be confident that our names will never be forgotten in the heart of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org 
and we invite you to join us again next week.